The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So this Sunday, as we begin ordinary time, the time in which we welcome the Holy Spirit to order our lives. We turn in our readings from walking through Luke, through the life of the early church, and we turn back to Luke's first volume, the well-ordered account of things that have been accomplished. And in our reading today, we join Jesus and the disciples at what will be the end of the Galilean ministry. After feeding the 5,000 with simply five loaves and two fish. Jesus has withdrawn a bit to pray. And the disciples come to him. And he asks them, who do the crowd say that I am? We hear the usual rumors. John the Baptist. Elijah, a prophet like of old. Then Jesus makes it personal. Who do you you who have walked with me, you who have ministered with me, you have, who have been sent out in the power of God for the kingdom of God, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ of God. You know, we hear that Jesus is the Christ so often that we often don't even think about what it means to say that Jesus is the Christ. Sometimes we even think that Christ is simply Jesus' last name. But what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God? If we look back into the history of Israel, we see that God commands Moses to anoint Aaron and the priest. Samuel anoints David as king over all Israel. Elijah, after he travels to the mountain of God and encounters God, in the still small voice, returns and anoints kings of Syria and Israel and anoints Elisha as the prophet to follow him. We even hear Isaiah call Cyrus the king of Persia, the anointed one of God, the one who will return Judah to Jerusalem after the bondage and captivity in Babylon and Persia. So what does it mean when we say Jesus is the anointed one? If we look 
to first century Galilee, we find a people who are expectantly waiting for the promise of God. They're waiting for the Messiah, the anointed one. Waiting for the Christos, the anointed one, for those who were speaking Greek. What were the people expecting? You know, just as the imaginations of the crowds tried to force Jesus into a box so that he looked like the prophets from of old, the messianic expectations of the people placed the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, within the imaginations of the history that they knew and the culture around them. Perhaps they expected a mighty warrior like David, marching triumphantly through the streets of Jerusalem, kicking out the Roman invaders, perhaps one like Judas Maccabeus, rising up against the sacrilege of invaders. A kingdom like other kingdoms and a king like other kings. But what has Luke shown us so far? Well, with Jesus, instead of earthly heralds going out to the edges of the earthly realms to proclaim the birth of a new emperor, we had heavenly heralds proclaiming to shepherds in the field the birth of Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem. We heard Mary sing about the baby in her womb as the one who will fulfill the promise of God, scattering the proud, bringing down the powerful, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things. We heard Zechariah foretell of his own newborn son that this John would be the one sent to prepare the way for the one who was coming, the day spring from on high, who would come to bring light to those who are captive to darkness and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus begins his own ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth as he opens the scroll of Isaiah and describes his own anointing by the Holy Spirit to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. This doesn't sound much like the kingdoms of the world, does it? And we've seen Jesus fulfilling all of these things in the Galilean ministry, in mighty signs and wonders. Messengers from John the Baptist come and they say, wait, this isn't what we're expecting. Are you really the one that we're waiting for? Or should we seek someone else? And Jesus says to them, look around you. Look at what you see happening right here. The blind see. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and restored into community. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Again, we don't see a kingdom like the kingdoms of this world. But we see a kingdom for all people. A kingdom that welcomes and heals and restores and redeems. And then Jesus gives power to the twelve an authority to cure diseases and to cast out demons, and he sends them out to proclaim this new kingdom and to heal, heal all who have need. See, throughout the narrative to this point, Luke has been reshaping our expectation of the anointed one. 
The anointed one is not here to be a king like other kings, to bring about a kingdom among other kingdoms. The anointed one, the Christ of God, the Messiah, is come to manifest the kingdom of God in stark contrast to the vain and transient kingdoms of this world. So what does it mean that Jesus is the anointed one? Jesus then shakes this up a little bit more. He evokes the son of man imagery from the prophet Daniel. The son of man, the one who came before the ancient of days and was presented to the ancient of days upon the throne. And to this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. And that his dominion would be an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom one that cannot be destroyed. And then Jesus immediately turns from this vision of heavenly and eternal glory to the stark contrast it presents to the ways of this world. The Son of Man, the glorious one, will undergo suffering and be rejected by those who should recognize and welcome him. Be rejected and turned away by those who were praying for his arrival. The Son of Man, the one anointed and glorified by God, will be killed. But what seems like a humiliating defeat in the ways of the world will be transformed into a glorious victory on the third day as Jesus is raised from the dead. So what does it mean when we say Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ of God? Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow where I go. Whoever would save his own life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If Jesus is indeed the Christ, the one anointed to reveal the way of the Father, we either follow him or we follow something other than the creator and sustainer of all things. We either follow Christ or we follow a lesser God. But following Jesus means walking the way of the cross. The way that Paul describes as foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. This is the way that calls us to set aside our expectations of what should be and allow God to reveal what truly is. A way that calls us to walk in the glory of the kingdom of God, even when the kingdoms of the world scoff and reject us, even when we are threatened with humiliation, rejection, and death. The kingdoms of this world and the lies of Satan will always tempt us to seek love and belonging in something less, something transient and passing away. The lies and deceptions of the world will tempt us to find love and belonging in our stuff, in our accomplishments, in our popularity, in our likes and follows on social media, 
in our own selfish pleasures, in the approval of friends and leaders. The lies and deceptions of this world will always tempt us with something less than the love of God. In contrast, Paul writes and says to those in Galatia, those who are struggling to be the church, those who are struggling to know what it means to be the people of God. In Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God. If Jesus is the Christ, our belonging, our worth, our value, our identity, the fullness of our heritage is as beloved sons and daughters of the one true God. John writes to a church struggling with division and strife that because Jesus is the Christ, because we know that Jesus is the Christ and proclaim him as such, we are beloved children of God. Ultimately, we follow Jesus as we submit to the love of God. We deny the lies and deceits of the world, even enduring curses and rejections from the world. And we submit to being loved by God. We submit to our true identity as the beloved. I think Johnny's back there telling me that it's time for me to close. <laughs> so as we close, let us return for a moment to this concept of the anointing. The term Christian was originally meant as a derogatory insult. You little Christs. Once again, what is an insult to the world can be very different in the kingdom of God. The truth that the church is made up of little Christs, little anointed ones is born out at Pentecost, as those gathered are formed into the church by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we who are the church in this day and age are indeed called to be little Christs, submitted to the love of the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and sent out to manifest and bear witness to the kingdom of God in the mighty name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.